Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Hello friends, and welcome to this, A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. We are back, and today we're going to be covering Series 1, Episodes 4 to 7 of The Newsroom. Now, just a bit of a warning on this one. So, the first episode was one I watched when it first came out, but it hits me just a little bit different than the others. Um, For me, I don't know why, being English, it's something that sticks with me. When we get into the episode, I'll let you know why, but it does... um, it's a difficult one, because I remember it. I remember it so well. So we'll get into it, and we'll uh, we'll find out what the hell I'm going on about. Episode 4, I'll Try to Fix You. It's New Year's Eve, and Will is hiding in his office. He's just come from another party, but doesn't want to get involved with the staff at the newsroom, who are also having a party. But Mac finds him and asks if Wade, her new boyfriend, can have a word with him. Wade wants to give him another side to a story that Will has been running, but leaving out vital information while he's been running down Wade's political party. Outside at the party, Neil is being typical Neil, and he's trying to convince people at this party that Bigfoot is real, all until his girlfriend Kaylee shows up and manages just to take him away. But everyone in the office, when they hear Bigfoot is real, just rolls their eyes at poor Neil, and he gets a lot of this throughout the whole series. Maggie looks over at where Jim's desk is and finds him working on something for Will. It's stories they didn't give enough attention to throughout the year. After trying to convince him to come out to the party, she realises that she's better off just helping him and getting him through it so that he will eventually come party. So she offers to help and they start to flirt, but then Don shows up. Maggie goes over to Don and he tells her that maybe they should set Jim up with Maggie's roommate Lisa. Lisa shows up and she's up for it until she realises who Jim is. But Don is insistent that he drags Jim away from his work to come to the party. Keeps calling him Jimmy Olsen, which is fucking ridiculous. For a start, he's a photojournalist, but well, doesn't matter. After Wade's pitch with Will, Will takes Mac aside and just speaks to her. And basically how she shouldn't really be having her boyfriend pitch stories to him. And also a point of when she calls him Honey, he tells them both, Don't call him Honey, it makes me crazy. They leave his office, and not long after Will leaves it too. The first person he meets is Sloane, and he's talking to her about how he doesn't really know how to go up and talk to women. It tends to be his profile that gets him places. Sloane points out a woman in the office and says, go speak to her. She's here alone. She looks single. It's New Year's Eve. Just try it. But when he does, Matt comes over to Sloane and asks, why is Will speaking with Nina Howard? It turns out that Nina Howard is a gossip columnist for TMI, a tabloid magazine. Matt goes over and interrupts them. And Nina says, she's just here to warn you that I'm a gossip columnist. And she goes, no, no, I'm not. And she takes Will to one side. She goes, you do know that She's a gossip columnist, right? They go over to Sloane as well, and Sloane's saying, no, I I fucked up, this was a bad idea, don't go back over there. He says, you know what, it's nearly midnight, and I'm going back over there. So he goes back to Nina, and she really wants to kiss him at midnight, 
but when she tells him that she's writing what's called a takedown piece on one of the stars of one of the Real Housewives shows, and then she tells Will what a takedown piece is, he says, so you're just being mean to her for no apparent reason. Like, what's the point? And she says, well, you've just been mean to the tea party for the last God knows how long, so aren't you just doing the same thing? And he says, no, because what I'm doing is... I'm informing people so that they know what they're doing when they go to the voting booths. What you're doing is just plain spiteful. Just before all this, the clock struck midnight and Nina tried to kiss Will, but he rejected her before giving her a tirade of why she's doing this. When he tells her that he's trying to civilise her, Nina throws a drink in his face, which is the correct response. Like, telling someone that you're trying to civilise them isn't exactly the smartest idea from one of the smartest people on the show. I agree with his methods, but I don't agree with the way that he put it. So over the next few days, Will is all over the news, and he's basically getting done for all the stories about how he groped Nina Howard at the New Year's do. And when he speaks to Charlie, Charlie tells him that basically, I've only got you here because... I want to take the piss, really. He's not there to discipline him in any way. He just wants to mock him for it. Because he knows that Will wouldn't do such a thing. And then the team also mock Will by throwing drinks in his face. So Lisa's going on a proper date with Jim. And before it, Maggie's giving her a pep talk. Lisa doesn't think she's smart enough for Jim. And that she'll just come off as dumb. But Maggie's like, I know I've never dated Jim, but I've thought about what it would be like. And Lisa says... What have you thought about and how often? And she says, no, not not like that. But she says she'd imagined it would be nice to date Jim and that he won't judge her. He won't think she's stupid. But how much she likes Jim is written across her face. Will also goes on a date with a friend of Sloan's, played by Catherine Hahn. This woman is carrying a gun and has marijuana in her bag. And this is just after Will has done a gun rant on the very same day, and about how gun control needs to be better in the country. And at one point throughout the day, he takes the gun out of her bag and unloads it, and then he hands her the gun, and she says, Look, I'm a woman in New York. If I'm about to get raped or attacked, what I'm going to do is this, and she points the gun at Will, unloaded, and she goes, This is how it's going to go down. And he said, No. Typically what would happen is, he takes the gun, flicks it out of her hand, catches it and points it back at her, and he says, this would happen. And she says, is it bad that I'm slightly turned on by this? And Will's like, yeah. So the next day he's talking to Sloane and he says, like, your friend was packing heat last night and she and Sloane thinks he means sex. And she goes, yeah, I bet she was. She goes, no, no, she had a gun. And Sloane was like, are you going to see her again? And he says... No, did you not hear what I said? And Sloane goes, you can't be seen over the next couple of days with another girl because she'll ask me about it. If she sees you in another magazine with another girl, she's she's crazy. She'll come after you. After his date with Lisa, Jim is talking to Maggie and he tells her he's not really sure if he wants to see her again. He says she's really lovely, but he's just not ready for that kind of thing just yet. And you can see that Maggie takes delight in this. Will goes on another date with another woman this time, ends up with a drink thrown in his face because he tells the story about Nina Howard and how he was wanting to civilise her 
and tells her about the takedown piece she was about to write. And the woman seems very interested in it and will insults her and then tries to fix the problem by saying, um, look, I'm, you know, I'm on a mission to civilize. And again, there's that word. Concept's good, but it's very flawed. And of course, because of this, it ends up in the news again. And then Sloane's friend tells her story to TMI as well. It's all over the papers because Will literally did a gun control brand three days earlier. And the headline says, My night of sex, guns and drugs with Will McAvoy. So it doesn't go down well. Later on that night, Maggie and Don are in bed together. Don tells Maggie that Jim's lying to her, that Lisa says that she's going out tonight for another date with Jim. And she says, well, why would he lie? What's he going to gain from it? Don sees a story and tells Maggie that Jim really needs to read this article. You've got to ring him. Like, this is serious. He needs to see this tonight. So she agrees and rings Jim. And Don picks up his phone and dials Lisa's number. Now Lisa has a very distinctive ringtone. It's Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy? And Maggie hears it in the background and realises that, that Jim and Lisa are together. She gets off the phone and she basically calls Don a dickhead. He's being smug about it, but he says basically, out of the four of us, I am probably the least worst right now. And in a way, yeah, he is. But in another way, he's the fucking worst. I don't like Don in this series. I like I like the character being played the way it's being played, but I don't like Don. He just feels like a bad guy. And he's being mean to his girlfriend for no reason. But then again, you know, he's in this relationship with Maggie that's just not working. And maybe they need to give up on it. The team come into the office on Saturday to hear Neil pitch about Bigfoot. They're all in the conference room and Will walks in. And Neil's stunned that Will's there. And he goes, please don't tell me I've been dragged in on a Saturday for this. At that point, Charlie walks in and and says, what the hell's going on? And Neil goes, I'm here to tell you about Bigfoot. And he goes, yeah, Will, come on, you're not here for this. During the Bigfoot pitch, Maggie keeps digging at Jim about dating Lisa and how he lied to her. And at this point, Jim just explodes and says, look, come on, get out here now. And he drags her out of the conference room and dresses her down in the middle of the bullpen, basically telling her, don't ever speak to me like that. I am your boss. This is not a way to conduct yourself in the office. He tells the guy on the main news desk to go home and take the day off and tells Maggie to sit in that seat until the end of the day. And he tells her that Don is more to blame for this than anyone. He was the one who set him up with Lisa. He was the one that encouraged this. And he was the one that called last night. You two need to get your shit together and either end it or just leave him out of it. During the chat about the story that's just come out from TMI about Will, Charlie realises that AWM owns TMI and essentially this is Leona creating context. And when it's mentioned that Will has a three years non-compete in his contract, Mac puts the pieces together and realises that when he renegotiated his contract to fire her every week if he wanted to, he gave up not only a million dollars each year, but also the non-compete clause was put in. And she asks him, does he really hate her that much? She'll leave if that's what he wants. And they can do the show with someone else, but fucking get it together. And this is the point that I alluded to at the beginning of the episode. So a story comes in, it's across Maggie's face. It stops everything. The day is January 8th, 2011. And it's the day that Gabrielle Giffords was shot. Passions flare and the team come together. They get through the harrowing story 
as it unfolds live in front of them. Breeze comes down and he's yelling and he's screaming. He's telling them that other people are relevant right now. They're more accurately giving people the news. They're declaring that this woman's dead already. And I think that I think the most poignant person in the whole room was Don. To say he's been such a dick throughout. He had the best point when Reese turns to him and tells him to get it on the air right now. Don tells him the news doesn't declare someone dead, a doctor does. And it's at that point that it's realised that she's not actually dead. She's still alive, she's been prepped for surgery. And all the other news channels that have called it already were wrong. And ACN was the only one who didn't. The reason that this resonates with me so much is because at the back end of 2010, I came back from Australia after five months. And after the Christmas period and the New Year's period, I was still looking for a job. But my sleep pattern was still fucked up. I wasn't going to bed at a decent time. I was sleeping in. I wasn't really motivated. And so one night I'm sat and I'm watching TV and there's breaking news. And it was this. So watching this unfold as it does in the newsroom, I remember the sense of what I was getting from TV. It was a breaking news story and they were reporting live on it there and then that this woman in Tucson, Gabrielle Giffords, had been shot. And I remember it clear as day that they were drip feeding information out throughout. So to then watch it again on a TV show was nuts. And it just brought me back to that night like two in the morning, watching this story unfold. But thankfully, she came through all right. And not only that, she is still alive today. So there's some mercies, at least. Episode 5. Amen. Elliot Hirsch is in Cairo, but he can't go out of his hotel due to the fact that the government is currently being overthrown in Egypt. It seems that Elliot just can't do anything. If he goes out into the streets... He may get injured due to the rioting. He's on air giving a report while Will is asking him questions. And every time Will asks a question, Elliot can't answer and Don is just getting so frustrated by the whole thing. Essentially saying stuff like, might as well just ask him what the four walls are like, because there's no way he knows what's going on. So at this point, Don tries to find a local that can help them and be their eyes on the ground without causing any offence to anyone. Charlie speaks with Mac and Will due to the fact that Wade has been on the show quite a few times in the last few weeks and months and the issue is that Wade is apparently running for government so it looks like ACN is back in his election campaign or his run for government and this won't fly well because the news is meant to be impartial and especially since the fact that Will has been having a go at the Tea Party giving someone else a hand up into government shouldn't be the way that he's conducting himself right now. And this is the first Max really hearing about it. She says that she knows that he's had talks about it, but doesn't realise how far it's gone. And now she starts to feel used. Neil manages to help Don find someone in Cairo, a local guy called Armen. When Neil's talking to Will and Mac about this, they say, look, we don't know this guy. We can't really credit him. They aren't trusting because this guy's got his face covered and wants to be anonymous. So they're like, he's got no credibility. But Neil says, he's me. I recognise what it is in him, because he's me. And to explain what he means, he tells the story of how how Neil was on the London Underground in 2005, on the 7th of July, the date that the London bombings happened. He tells the story of how 
he was meant to be going to be working for his dad as a mechanic. And then all of a sudden, while he was on the tube, the train car filled with smoke. And all he could hear was screaming and cries for help. And they were down there for a long while until Neil started seeing people moving through the carriage in high vis. And it was the fire department. They started getting people out and Neil took out his phone and began recording the whole thing. He then managed to sell that to a network. And it was at this point that he realised what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a journalist. And at that point, there was no way he was going to be a mechanic. Don comes in and tells everyone that Elliot has left the safety of his hotel. And he's ended up getting beaten up and has been smashed in the face with a rock. Don says that he has to go and ring his wife and tell her what's happened. But Charlie says that he wants to. And after being talked down by Will, he realises Don is the correct person to do this. You can see it's written all over Don's face that he feels guilty for what he's been saying to Elliot due to the story about Wade coming out and how he's been using Mac for his own gains. The story is picked up by ACN's morning show and they are airing all the dirt from the whole thing and are essentially running down Newsnight and what it's trying to do. But Charlie's watching the whole thing. He calls through to Dayside and he tells the producer, I don't care if he's on air right now, put me in that fucker's ear. And then he tells the presenter, be dignified go towards break, stop this nonsense now, or if you don't, you'll be looking for a new job. A few days later, it's Valentine's Day, and Maggie is stressing about Lisa, because she tends to have a string of bad Valentine's Days, but it's also apparently her favourite day. So Maggie wants Jim to basically blow her socks off. She gives him everything that he needs. She's booked them a meal, she's bought presents for Lisa, and she's also bought a card, so Jim has to do nothing but sign it and turn up at the dinner. And she says, don't screw me around, Jim, because me and Don have a big date planned. And if I have to have Lisa turn up while I'm on my date in a hotel room and start watching bad romantic films saying how much she loves this holiday but hates it at the same time, I'm going to kill you. When our men start speaking to Neil and Mac, about the story. Mac tells him that he's doing a great job, but they need to see his face and they need to know his name because otherwise they can't report on this story that he's about to give them because it won't be credible. After a little convincing about how how he's going to be one of the first Egyptian-born journalists to appear on American television to report something this historic, he decides that he's going to do it. He takes off his mask and he names himself as Khaled. Khaled also pitches his next story, because there's still a lot going on around the government, and how it's been overthrown. His next story is about people in government just burning evidence, and he knows where it's happening, and he wants to go and report on the story, and get some good footage of what the hell is going on. But after a few days of Neil not hearing anything from Khaled, he realises he's gone missing, and has probably been arrested within his own country. A lot of other reporters at that point are getting arrested. So it stands to reason that they think that this guy is a threat. And they... Elliot has been flown home though. And he is a little worse for wear. And when Don hears about Khaled, he tells Neil that they gave Khaled Elliot's satellite phone. So he needs to get onto that. He needs to track that. And they'll be able to find where Khaled is. Due to his issues with the Tea Party and the Koch brothers... Will starts doing a piece about the Cokes and a group called Citizens United and also the dealings that the Cokes have within the government 
which is something that Leona has said that she doesn't want to happen. It seems that Neil still can't find Khaled. He's tracked the phone, but it's been switched off. So he asks the team if they know anyone in Cairo who can help, and they start going after security firms that may be able to find someone in that area. They manage to track him down, but the people who have got him want money, which, since he's basically freelance, ACN probably won't do anything about, but he's also one of their guys. So the team are really pulling to try and get this money together. The money that's wanted is half a million dollars, but they want it wired to a charity, and as soon as they have that done, they'll give them Khaled back. Due to everything that's going on with Will and TMI, he learns about another story that this time doesn't involve him, but involves Mac. And it's how when she was a field reporter covering the war effort, she got a load of her people in trouble and almost got them killed. So Will decides that now is the time to do something about this whole affair. He's heard from... (sighs) He's heard from Gary Cooper, one of the assistants in the office. Yes, that is his real name that if you pay Nina Howard, she will make the story go away. So Will sets up a meeting with Nina to talk it out. Nina tells him that she'll make the story go away if he invests in her business. She's thinking about getting out of journalism and opening a restroom. Will starts writing the check, and he's just like, yep, I don't care, I'll pay you whatever it is you need me to pay to stop this from happening, but it needs to go away, and you need to stop going after me. But then Nina starts acting smug and calls herself a journalist. And Will then says, you are not a journalist whatsoever. And he tells her about how Elliot got hurt while covering a story in Cairo. How a guy who doesn't even really work for the company has gone missing because they sent him into a dangerous area. He's got Don who went up to, he's got Don who went up to Reese's office and ended up hurting his shoulder trying to batter down Reese's door. They've got Jim, who, due to rushing around so much, has walked into a glass door twice and has a massive gash on his head. And then because of Khaled going missing, Neil saw a story done by someone who is very opinionated and not in the good way, and ended up punching the screen, breaking at least two of his fingers. And not one of them will stand down or go to the hospital. So Nina isn't a journalist. She wouldn't put that much effort in. He tears up the check and tells her that restaurants are a bad investment anyway. And he walks out, telling her that, come after me all you want. Do what you want. I don't care. Go through the trash. It's what you do anyway. But you come after my staff. And I have an hour, prime time, every night. And I will make your life a living hell. If you come after my guys. He says that he is a man who never really lived up to his potential. And God help her if he ever does. Wade comes over to the studio and Mac tells him to go and stand out on the terrace for a while. Apparently it's freezing cold out there, but she doesn't care. After the broadcast that she's just done, she goes out and talks to him. And it's here that she tells him that she's breaking up with him. And he says that he knew that she was still in love with Will. That the situation that they're currently in is fucked up. But he knew he was always going to be second rate to her. So he got what he could. Lisa turns up at the office because it's been a really busy day with everything that's going on with Khaled. And of course, Jim has not gone to the restroom. So she's yelling and screaming in the middle of the office about how this is her favourite day. And it's at this point that Maggie blows up and says, why is this your favourite day? 
every guy hates this day because if you're dating anywhere near that day, you've got to make a big gesture. You've got to pull out all the stops. And it's not fair. Essentially saying love should be every day, not just one day of the year. It's at this point that Don's walking over with a bunch of red roses, puts them on the desk next to him and says, um, I, I love you every day. She says, oh, I was just lying. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> and Don says, I think she can still hear you. Lisa realises her mistake and her and Jim go off. So Will comes back from seeing Nina and he goes into his office, sits behind his desk and Matt comes in and she says, I know that ACN won't pay the amount that you asked for, but we got Khaled back. Strange that, isn't it? And he acts sheepish and doesn't say anything. She says, you paid it, didn't you? And he just goes, look, he's one of our guys. I didn't want him out there alone. What's the harm? He's safe now, and that's all that matters. The door opens and it's Neil. He walks in and puts a check on Will's desk. He says it's not much, but it'll help. He walks out, Maggie walks in and says, it's not a lot, but it'll help, and puts a check on his desk. It's here that Will realises that they are playing out the scene from Rudy, where instead of laying their shirt on the coach's desk, they're laying small amounts on Will's desk to show the solidarity that they now have. Will goes out of his office and sees a line of all the staff, all with a check in their hand. He turns to Mag and says, did you do this? And she says, happy Valentine's. And he just hugs her. Episode 6. Bullies. It's April 12th, 2011. Will is coming to the end of a broadcast and he's stumbling over his words. He calls himself Terry Smith, who he's trying to link to. He's getting his whole segment jumbled. He's just gone to pieces from what is usually a very professional man. He's not been sleeping very well, so Will decides that he needs to go and speak to someone. He's been paying a therapist for the last four years, but not actually going to any of his sessions. When he goes in, he's sat in his waiting room, and Dr. Jacob Habib comes out, and he says, you must be Will. And Will is waiting for someone else. And he says, no, I'm waiting for Dr. Habib. He says, no, I'm Dr. Habib. I'm the son of Abraham Habib. My father died two years ago. I took his practice and you've been paying me for the last two years. Will decides to go in and leaves his security detail, Lonnie, outside, played by Terry Crews. This is a new thing for Will. We've never seen Will with a security guard before, so we can infer that something's happened. Jacob, played by David Crumholz, starts to ask what's been going on with Will. And when Will stops giving him any information. He just wants a prescription for some sleeping pills so that he can get some sleep. Jacob keeps pressing at him. He says, look, I'm happy to give you the prescription, but you've paid for an hour, so why not just talk? And Will eventually starts to give a little bit more information, but only after he knows that Will has received a death threat. Will tells him that he changed the comment section on the ACM website a few weeks earlier due to the fact that, during a broadcast, he has been given a mandate to engage more with the audience. They go to the comment section of the broadcast, and people were just being horrible to a guy that Will had just interviewed. Essentially, they were bullying him. It's at this point that Will tells them that that wasn't the intention of the broadcast, and that 
he seems really annoyed by the fact that these people are commenting horrible things behind the mask of anonymity. So Will goes to Neil and says, look, I want people's name, I want their education, I want their age, I want their goddamn address if needs be. People shouldn't be anonymous on this site. We want credentials. We want to be putting stuff on the air so that people aren't just faceless thugs, that they can be named and they can be shamed if that is what is required. And then maybe people will stop bullying people like they are because most of the comments on the site were vicious and homophobic. Matt keeps wanting to talk about the segment that caused all the controversy with Will and he's avoiding the question at all cost, just trying to get something else in place so that he doesn't have to think about what was actually happening during that segment. Later on, Will also does another segment regarding a woman who is running down Muslims and the fact that they were going to put a mosque or a community centre in the place of where the Twin Towers were. And she is saying it is going against good Christian values that the Muslim people are going to have a shrine where the events of September 11th happened. It's here that Will starts to point out all the things that have been done in the name of Christianity within America and its borders. Things like presidential assassinations and the KKK, just to name a couple. But he's essentially saying that not everyone is bad just because they live under a certain bracket. So stop tiring people with the same brush. But of course, this causes backlash. And in the comments, this is where Will receives a death threat. But because of the new system that's been put in place, they shouldn't be able to hack this system at all. When they actually find the name of the person that did it, it's some sweet little old lady in the middle of nowhere. And they realise that the system has probably been hacked, which with the new security in place, they shouldn't be able to do. If someone really wanted to get in to leave that comment, they've really done some hacking to get in there. And because of this, and because of this, ACN has decided to give Will a security detail in the form of Lonnie Church. So more and more stories are coming out about Will and TMI. And because of all the controversy around him right now, Charlie wants a team to start investigating Will to find out what the next story might be. But Mac also wants it for her own personal gains. She wants some dirt on Will so that she can stop feeling as guilty about everything that happened between her and her ex-boyfriend. So she gets Maggie and Jim to dig up dirt on him. Sloane has been asked to translate a call in Japanese about a nuclear reactor in Fukushima and this is the 4th of April, 2011. But while she is talking to the man at the other end of the phone, she is familiar with him. His name is Tanaka-san, or Mr. Tanaka. But some of the questions that she's asking aren't relevant to what is going on. When the team asks about the reactor, Sloan asks a question, and the man answers, my daughter just made the diving team. And the team asks, did he understand the question? And Sloan says, I haven't talked to him in years. I'm trying to catch up. So she's having it more as a casual conversation, hoping that because she's familiar with the man, he'll give her more information because she's a trusted friend. But after a moment, Sloane asks the team to leave the room and begins to talk to Mr Tanaka off the record. And it's here because she is a trusted friend that he tells her, this is going to get worse. It's gone from four to five and it's going to go to emergency level seven. Sloane comes out and hands off her notes to someone so that they can write up the story for that night's broadcast. It's then that Don offers Sloan to come and work on Elliot's show that night due to the fact that Elliot's off. Sloan accepts, but she goes to see Will and she's unsure about what she needs to do. And Will tells her, look, I recommended you. I think you'll do great. But 
what you need to do is stop letting people off. You let people on your show tell you things that you know is wrong and you know better than what they do. And yet you just let them off with it. You don't call people out on things. So maybe just don't do that. You're a journalist. Be a journalist. Report the news properly. And report the news right. And it seems to light a fire under Sloane's ass. So on Elliot's show, Sloane is sat talking to Mr Tanaka and an interpreter. Because obviously she can't conduct the interview in Japanese. So every time that the interpreter talks to Mr Tanaka, Sloane says, well, that's not what I said. So please interpret what I am asking and please interpret back what Mr Tanaka is saying. And it's at this point that she starts to get pissed off with the interpreter and begins speaking in Japanese, to which Don is massively pissed off. And while he's yelling in her ear, go back to English, go back to English now, she takes her earpiece out and continues to talk to Mr Tanaka in Japanese. It's then she goes back to English and Don is like, finally. And then she says, earlier on in a pre-interview, Mr Tanaka told me that this was going to go from four to five to seven. And now they are saying that it's going to go from four to five and back to four. But this is actually going to be the worst case scenario and is going to be a seven, which is essentially damning the Japanese people to a gruesome death. And then she also gets the <laughs> and then she also gets the segment next wrong as well. When she tells the audience that she's going to be interviewing Sarah Bernhard, who is who is an early nineteenth century actress, when she's actually meant to be interviewing Sandra Bernhard, who is a current actress. The broadcast ends and she walks out and she sees Don sat in a chair. She's just ready to apologise. She realises that she's fucked up badly. So then Don tells her, just wait a second. It happens to us all. You'll get through it. Just wait five seconds. Charlie comes screaming into the room. He doesn't call her Sloane or Miss Sabbath. He starts calling her girl, to which she fronts up to him and says, don't call me girl. It's here that he basically says, you have now got Japanese people running for their lives because of what you've said on our air. You are irresponsible and you are stupid for what you've just done. Did the man just say to you that it was going to a seven live on our air? Can anyone verify that? Essentially saying, can we get a Japanese interpreter in to make sure that what you've said on air is correct? And she said, no, he didn't say it on air, but he said it in the pre-interview and it was off record. And Charlie says, well, you're no use to me now. You've lost the source. No source is ever going to want to talk to you again because you've fucked up. And he tells her that he's going to have to have her investigated. And every story that she's done while on air, he's going to have to have it investigated now to see what other shit she's made up, knowing full well that she hasn't. And it's at that point that he suspends her. And this is also a thing that Will is feeling guilty about because he told Sloane what to do. So now he's still talking to his therapist and he's telling this whole story about how if he hadn't had a go at her and told her not to let people off, she wouldn't have done what she did. Since Will was seeing since Will was seeing Jacob's father before, Jacob has files and files of stuff about Will. So he's read everything that has happened to Will previously. He knows that Will 
had an aggressive father as he was growing up. But Will tells him the story of the time that stopped. Because when Will got to be big enough, he made sure that his father would never touch him or his family again. So during Mac's investigation of Will, it turns out that Will was offered a TV show in LA and almost moved. And it's this that she wants to hold over Will's head. She storms into his office and says, you had no intention of ever marrying me. You were going to move. You were going to go and leave. You were going to go to LA and you were going to leave me behind. You've been holding this over me for months now. This whole thing with me and my ex. And you were going to leave. You were just going to leave me. And he goes into his drawer and he pulls out a ring and he shows her the ring that he was going to, and he shows her the ring that he was going to propose with. So at this point that Mac turns around and just walks out. She thought she was doing the right thing. She thought she was being righteous, but she still feels like shit now. But it turns out that the ring was a prop and he's told Jacob this as well. It was just a gag. For me, that is a that is a sucky move. Will knew that she was going to find out that he'd been offered the job, but Will also knew it was a power move from the company that was offering him the job. So he knew it wasn't a real offer, but he's gone out and bought this ring anyway, just because he knew that Mac would find it. And... It's not a good look. It's a really shitty thing to do, to play with someone's emotions like that. Eventually, we get around to the real story that Will has been avoiding for so long. And it's the story that made Will change the comment section. Will is speaking with a representative of the Senator Rick Santorum. And this man is black and he's gay. But throughout the interview, Will is verbally beating down this man, essentially saying that the person that he works with doesn't see him fit to be essentially working for him, doesn't see him as a decent human being. He sees him as a bad person because he is gay. Because he can't help being black, but he can help being gay, which, if that is the true way that someone like that feels, sorry, but fucking hell, you are so wrong. Will doesn't understand why the man he's interviewing is standing by someone like Rick Santorum. And essentially, after Will continues to go on at him, the representative just blows up at Will and tells him that he's wrong and that he's narrow-minded and that he believes in what Rick Santorum is doing. He doesn't have to stand with all his politics, but he stands with him on the issue of abortion. It's here that Will has one last little dig by asking him, does the senator believe that you have the right to be a teacher? Which the man just looks rejected into the camera and says, no. And again, it is always going to be my personal opinion. I will always try and see balanced arguments. But when it comes to who you love and what you love, as long as you're not hurting anyone, as long as everything is consensual, who gives a shit what anyone else says? And no one should be no one should be sticking their nose in your business. Love who you love. Be with who you want to be with. And obviously there are caveats to that. I'm not saying bestiality is okay or paedophilia is okay. It's not. It's fucking wrong. But just because someone's gay doesn't mean anything. Someone's a lesbian doesn't mean anything. Someone's trans. Fucking get over it. Let those people live their lives the way that they want to live. Why does it affect you? Why should it affect you? That's my two penneth on the whole situation. And if you're offended, there's a lot more other funny episodes to listen to. Don't have to listen to this one. But we're almost done now anyway, so just carry on. So due to a quirk in the Japanese language, they have they have two different words for seven and four, and these can be misconstrued and could be easily misinterpreted for someone who isn't fluent in Japanese. 
Sloan tries to defend her corner and says, but I am. And he said it was going to go from a four to a five to a seven. End of. And he says, no, you don't know Japanese, and this is how we're going to get out of it. You will go live on air, and you will tell everyone that you made a mistake. But then the company will come out on Japanese TV and tell the world that it is going to a seven. It is going to be a mess, but here's the way that Mr. Tanaka can keep his honour and his job. You can keep your job. And we will go back to referring to you as Miss Sabbath or Sloane instead of girl. And we are just essentially doing damage control right now. Sloane asks Will if he would want her to lie in front of the ACN logo after everything that they've tried to do with 2.0. And he says, look, whatever the fallout is, whatever happens, I will be there standing just in front of you and to the left. Always in front and to the left. But just before this, Don was speaking with Sloane as she was packing up her office. And Don asks her if he's losing Maggie because he keeps seeing her flirt with Jim and he's worried that their relationship's about to end. At the end of the episode, we find out that Dr. Habib knows why Will has been suffering and not sleeping. And it's something he revealed at the very beginning of their session. He tells him that because of the egg, bacon, cheese sandwich that Will is having at night before he goes to bed. It's why he's not sleeping. There's something in the bacon that will essentially keep you awake. So he tells him not to have that before he goes to bed and he'll be fine. He writes in the prescription and Will leaves. So yeah, what I like about this episode is the fact that throughout Will is trying to dissuade people from bullying. And it's quite clear that he was also the bully in this situation. He bullied the representative from Rick Santorum's office and belittled him on air. But when he realised that, that he was joining essentially a mob of people that would probably have given this man the same abuse, he realises he was a bad guy as well. And he tries to change it. He tries to change the culture of people to not bully, to not judge, to try and see things from a different perspective. And I'm not going to get into the politics of people's beliefs. I'm going to give my own opinion on what I think. At the end of the day, people can think what they want to think, but... I think they should be more open-minded about things as well. There's different sides to all arguments, not just yours. And I think that if we did that, and we looked at things a different way, we'd be better globally. And I think with the more that we travel in that direction, the worse some people get. But anyway, let's just uh, continue into episode 7. Episode 7. 5-1. Charlie receives a call from an anonymous number. The man on the other... The man on the other end tells him that he is establishing his credibility. And when Charlie asks what he can call him, he says, I don't care, call me Deep Throat if you must. And he says, well, Deep Throat was never anonymous. He announced his name at the beginning of the call and then gave the information. And the man just says, look, I don't care what you call me. Call me late for dinner if you have to, but I'm not giving you my name just yet. But to establish his credibility, he tells Charlie that they'll get an email in the next 30 minutes, and it's going to be from the White House, telling them to get to work. On this night, everyone's at Will's, and they're all having a party. It's the year anniversary of the launch of Newsnight 2.0, and Will is talking with Neil and Kaylee in his kitchen about some cookies. Yeah, those types of cookies that Will has been given. And they tell him they're very strong, just, you know, break off maybe a quarter, have that, it'll start to hit you. 
And Will tells them that he's already taken two, as well as some Vicodin. And Kaylee says, look, just lots of water and just ride it out. You'll be fine. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. As long as nothing major happens, everything will be fine. Jim is at the party as well, but he pretends that he's working when Maggie comes to find him. But actually, he's watching some baseball highlights. It's at that point it's at that point that Lisa sees that he's online and decides to give him a FaceTime. At first Jim doesn't want her answer, but Maggie insists and she says she might be lost. She's she's on her way to the party, she has to answer the call, and Maggie answers it for him. Lisa tells him that she's not far away and she'll be there shortly, in like five minutes. And Lisa tells Jim that she loves him, and Jim answers with I do too and gets really uncomfortable with Maggie being there in the room at the time who of course calls him out on it she says what the hell was that Lisa told you that she loves you and you say I do too and Jim says well I do love me I think I'm great and she's like well this is going to end badly because she's told you that she loves you now and you're just going to keep stringing her along the only ones that aren't at the party are Don Sloane and Elliot who are coming back from DC on a flight and it's at this point just as they come into land that they all get the email that Charlie was talking about it's May 1st it's May 1st 2011 and the email says the president will speak on a matter of national security in 30 minutes time and as they're all waiting on taxis to go back to the studio everyone is thinking about what it could be to try and get out ahead of the story and try and get some sources into what it could be and they all range from good to bad to well neil and the absolute absurd as the plane is pulling up to the gate don ellie and sloan all get stuck on this plane and they have to keep in conversation with mac to try and get information across to her if they know anything or at least what they know but while they're doing it it becomes more and more difficult because they're trying not to say anything to panic the people on the plane but they're also trying not to annoy the flight attendant who is at this point really pissed off with them because they keep trying to move seats. And on a couple of occasions, Don gets pretty mouthy with this poor woman, who is just trying to do her job. I mean, look, we've all been there. There's time when people are trying to do their job, and you just want to do the thing that you need to do, and someone is in your way preventing you from doing that. But they are there trying to do their job, and it's not through spite, or it's not through malice, it's through security. And it sucks. Unfortunately, it's the way that the world is now. And, look, There's times when people will get in your way and stand there for no apparent reason and it's stupid. But sometimes, especially on a flight, and especially when people are getting so antsy on a flight, I can understand why staff like that are the way that they are. Most of them are fucking lovely, but sometimes they get antsy and with good reason. So the drugs are really starting to kick in for Will. While he's trying to get to the studio with Lonnie, Will knows that the studios are only 20 blocks away and he doesn't want to stay stuck in the car with Lonnie while what is potentially the biggest story of the year is about to happen. So he says, I could just run for it. And Lonnie tells him, don't you dare. At this point, Will slyly unbuckles his seatbelt, jumps out of the car and runs for it. Lonnie's about to take off after him but can't really leave his car. And then two cops come out of nowhere and tell him, Oh, what are you doing? Like, where are you going? And he goes, and he tells them the story. I'm a security guard with this company. I'm armed. He tells him where his gun is on his person. He tells them that his license is in whichever pocket it's in. And he tells him what, and he tells the police what he's trying to do at that particular point. And one of the cops says, look, you're a big guy. 
just don't make any sudden movements. And Lonnie comes out with, look, ain't my fault that I'm big and black, which, I mean, back in 2012, when this was brought out, it's a good fucking line. But nowadays looks a little bit worse for wear. And unfortunately, it's still probably true. Anyway, so on the way back to the studio, they've tried to find out as much information as they can, but they haven't got very far. They believe that it's been Larden, but it can't be verified just yet. But everyone else is pitching other stories. For instance, they think it may be Gaddafi as well, or as I said before, Neil, thinking it's aliens. They start putting some ideas together and start speaking to more and more people about what's going on. It's at this point Will arrives at the office. He's quite clearly high now, and for whatever is brandishing a falafel. (laughs) It's a fucking ridiculous scene. He's talking to Neil and Kaylee, and Lisa's there as well, and he is so high. And he's basically saying, look, you can't say anything about what is happening, but I'm going to be doing this broadcast tonight, and I don't want anyone to know about what is happening. And Kaylee gives her word that she won't say a thing. Will goes into his office and admits to Mac that he's high. And when Mac tells him that he is not doing this broadcast, he tells her, you are not taking me off this. If it is what we think it is, and we've got Bin Laden, this is going to be the biggest story, and you cannot take me off this. And she says, well, fucking get it together. And then just as she's about to leave his office, he goes, can you believe we got Obama? (laughs) And she goes, you can't go and say that on the air. It's Osama. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just getting it out of my system. Some of the comic timing in this is excellent. Like... For me, I grew up with Jeff Daniels in only really one film. I knew him from Dumb and Dumber. I know him from other acting roles, but Dumb and Dumber was the one. And so watching him in this, playing this fucking goofball character, while chaos reigns around him and he's just chill, is fucking brilliant. So now everyone is convinced that it's been Laden. They've got sources on it, and they are ready to go. But Charlie tells them that they don't have two reliable sources. They have two sources, but one of the sources is someone else who is a reporter, and therefore Charlie doesn't know who their sources are. So he says, look, you've only got one legitimate source. I can't let you go on the air with something this big. What we'll do is we will wait until the President of the United States tells us what is going on. But they believe that they have enough information that they can announce it to the newsroom. So they go out and they say, we believe that Bin Laden has been caught and killed. And Kaylee just gets up and walks out of the studio and she goes and stands on the balcony. Both Neil and Jim go looking for her. And when they eventually find her, we find out that Kaylee's father was actually in the towers the day that they fell. And she's not sure how to feel about the whole event. She thought she'd be elated when Bin Laden got killed or was captured. But right now, she just doesn't feel anything. She doesn't feel happy. And I imagine that there was a lot of people feeling that that day. The man that caused so much devastation in New York and across America, as well as across the world, was gone. But people wouldn't have been sure how to feel about it. Maggie keeps trying to convince Jim to break up with Lisa because he obviously doesn't feel the same way about her as she does about him. 
But Lisa's instincts kick in and she realises that that they're still talking about her. And she goes over and speaks to Jim and says, look, I'm going to do it because if I wait for you to do it, we'll be picking out curtains before I just realise that you were trying to be a nice guy. And she ends it with Jim. And then she goes and speaks to Maggie and tells Maggie that she saw her face when she told Jim that she loved him. And she can't keep doing this to her. She wants to be a good friend, so she's ended it with Jim. Because the plane is on the ground... But just waiting outside the airport, the passengers are now starting to get information. They've seen that the president is going to address the nation and people start to panic and worry. There's been flights cancelled and they're still stuck on the tarmac. They think there's been another terror attack and people start to get scared. Don tries to get everyone to calm down and tells them to stop panicking. It's nothing bad. They know what it is, but they can't say anything just now. But it's, it's not a bad thing. Just wait. President's going to speak and they'll find out then. But at this point, the flight attendant says, that's it, I'm going to get the pilot because this is not right. What you're doing, you're disrupting everyone. I'm going to get the pilot. The pilot comes out and before he can even start talking, Don realises the situation and realises that he can do some actual good here instead of causing a disruption. And this bit, even now, the hairs are up on my arms. Like... This bit's difficult because, I mean, I, I don't imagine that the guy who was playing the pilot was an actual pilot, but or part of the hopes that he was former military. Because someone saying that they believe that the man who caused so much devastation to what is probably friends of his is now gone. I can't imagine the feeling, but it makes me well up every time I think about it. Such a heartbreaking scene. Watching the pilot and the flight attendant just embrace and shake each other's hands and know that they've reported the news to someone and given them the facts of what's gone on must be amazing. Jim goes to speak to Lisa and tells her that initially, yeah, it was a fix-up. I didn't want to be fixed up, but it happened and I enjoyed the time that we had. And he tells her that if she wants to date properly, he is hoping that he gets a second chance with her because he really wants to do this. Not just a fix-up, but an actual proper date. And she agrees. Eventually, Lonnie gets to the studio and he's so pissed off with Will. He comes storming across that newsroom. And fuck me. A guy of Terry Crews' size being pissed off with you. I can't imagine it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I see it. But he's got the cops with him as well. And Will just stops him and just says, look, tells him what's happened and Lonnie says well tell the cops tell them and he's like you go tell them and again that must be a nice moment you know Lonnie's just trying to do his job poor guy and he's ended up getting in shit because of his client and the fact that he's a big black man that is in a country that sometimes unfortunately has a bad rap when it comes to that kind of thing but he gets to manage to tell two police officers that he was earlier on in a little bit of hot water with that essentially now 
the man who caused the devastation in New York is gone. And these two cops were probably serving at the time when that happened, or at least were probably New York residents. So must just be a fucking lovely moment. Charlie gets another call from the anonymous man late for dinner. And Charlie realises that this man works for the NSA. And the man says, do you believe my credentials now? Because I've got a story that AWM, and more specifically TMI, is involved in the same scheme that happened with the News of the World in the UK. They've been phone hacking, and they arranged to meet. They've not had any word from the White House yet on whether they can go with the story. They're just currently vamping, and they're getting their Washington counterparts to just address the fact that something's happening, but we can't tell you what just now. All we know is the president is going to come on and speak to us. No one can confirm it yet, because the White House hasn't said go. But Will checks his phone and finds that he's had an email from earlier in the evening that he hasn't checked his phone yet because he's high as fuck. And it's telling him that they got Bin Laden and that he needs to get on the air and tell the world. And when they ask who's it from, turns out it's the Vice President Joe Biden, the now President. And although he's high, he absolutely knocks it out of the park. He's so professional, he doesn't fuck up the names. And he then hands it to one of the more famous speeches of the of the current century. Now, if you don't know that speech, it's the one that President Obama gave to address the nation and the world about the death of Osama bin Laden. And it's a beautiful speech. So moving and so well done. There's not a lot to say about these last four episodes. I think I've said enough throughout that needed to be said. But this series, it's... Like I've said before, it's it's a very emotional series and it's it plays on things that, as someone who's nearly 40, I've lived through. A lot of these events were big moments in my life. Um, again, going back to what I've said in A Million Little Things, September 11th, one of those dates that everyone knows where they were and at some point I'll probably tell my story of where I was on September 11th I know the perfect episode I want to do it on as well because I obviously know what happens but yeah I've um I've talked for way too long and I uh I just want to wrap this episode up for today but thank you for being with me I hope to see you soon Well, that's all for now, amigos. If you manage to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.